So far with the I am statements, Jesus has made some pretty big claims. We talked at the beginning of our series about how if you look at the first part of the book of John, uh, and even after the first I am statement, Jesus is showing who he is with miracles. He's displaying his power, uh, his power over creation, sickness, death. So he's displaying who he is. And then beginning with the first I am statement, Jesus begins to declare who he is. First, he says he's the bread of life. He supplies all of our needs intentionally coming after feeding the 5,000 plus. Uh, he sh- says, you know, Temporary food, you're going to get hungry again, but I can give you spiritual food that will never leave you hungry. Then he says he's the light of the world, and he is just that. He brings light into a dark world. We can have that light in us, and we can shine the light of Christ out of our lives. Last week, we looked at Jesus as the door or the gate for the sheep, which uh, leads perfectly into his next I am statement, It intentionally comes right before him stating, I am the good shepherd. The door ramps us up and it tunes our ear into the voice of the good shepherd so that we can hear what he has to say for us. Because unless we are sheep in the pen, we talked about, you know, he is the door. He's the only way into the pen. Uh, And by entering through Christ, we enter into salvation and then we exit into heaven. But unless we are in the pen, unless we are sheep in the pen, then we don't belong to him. Our understanding of who Jesus is takes an incredible turn when we understand him as the door, which sets up perfectly what he says when he tells us that he is the good shepherd. So we continue our series, part four in our series on the I am statements of Christ. And we've learned that the I am statements make a statement, right, about who he is. The I am statements declare who he is, and who he is drastically changes who we are. Greg Matt says, the I am changes who I am. And it's true. If we believe the I am statements, if we accept Christ as he says he is, then it's going to change. You can't accept the truth of what he says without it changing you, allowing him to change you. It will change who you are. And what we see in the I am statements, that phrase, I am, is a direct connection, a direct reference, echoing what God said to Moses when Moses asked, who am I to tell Pharaoh sent me? When, Pharaoh, when God said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, God simply said, I am, present tense. I, I have, I am, I always will be. I am the one true God. And so when Jesus says this, you have Jesus The God of the New Testament declaring to be the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God. He is, yes, there's the Trinity, three in one, but Jesus is the one true God. And anybody that heard this would have understood it as such. He is, uh, as the good shepherd, he is God. But then when we look specifically who he is, at who he is as the good shepherd, it definitely will change who we are. Now, I went to Hobby Lobby yesterday and got me a stuffed sheep. Doesn't that look cute? You like that? It even has God bless on a cross on it. So it's even appropriate for today. But this this nice little stuffed sheep is cute. It's fluffy. You know, sheep may be fluffy, but they, you know, this one is nice and clean. Sheep are not clean. They're messy. And this is cute. You like to look at it. Uh, the truth is, though, sheep are kind of dumb. Okay. 
Uh, like this stuffed animal, he doesn't have, oh, it does make noise. I didn't even know that. Little ones to him belong. How about that? I, he can even talk. That was a nice bonus. I get to take this ride with me. You never know what's going to happen. Now, I don't know if he's ever going to stop singing. All right, there's your sermon for the day. Time to go eat. Okay, he has a recorded voice, but he doesn't actually communicate back and forth other than singing Jesus Loves Me, uh, which he does. But, you know, this stuffed animal kind of represents sheep. You know, he's not going to do a whole lot unless I squeeze him again, which I'm not going to do. Um, if I read the part that said press here, I might have anticipated that. But it was covered by a bow. It's okay. Um, Sheep are like that. I mean, they, you know, they, you're not going to teach sheep to do tricks. They're not going to sit. They're not going to beg. They're not going to shake hands. I mean, sheep are just followers. Sheep follow their shepherd. And sheep have a tendency to get lost. Uh, they may be cute. Uh, usually they're filthy, but, you know, they, they were used for their wool or they were led to slaughter. But a shepherd took care of his sheep because the, the wool was used. That's how he made his living. But sheep follow. They wonder. They tend to get into trouble, and they're pretty creative about how they get into trouble. Sometimes they get in trouble because they wander off. Uh, sometimes they get into trouble simply because they are following someone other than the shepherd. They may wander off on their own. They may follow the wrong shepherd, or they may follow uh, the, the rest of the flock when some others in the flock decide to wander off. All right, Gracie, don't push the button. You ready? All right, you can hold my sheep for me. Thank you. Good catch, by the way. All right. <laughs> but sheep wonder. You know, they're predictable. You can pretty much predict what a sheep is going to do because they just don't do a whole lot out of the ordinary. They are also defenseless creatures. They're not going to be able to uh, defend themselves. That's why that's also part of the job of the shepherd. He's going to guard the sheep. Last week we talked about Jesus, uh, uh, the shepherd as the door, Jesus being the door, and how the shepherd would lie in the open doorway, and nothing could get in without his going over him. Nothing could go out without going over him, and that meant dangerous animals. You know, sheep can't really defend themselves, but we know that, that our shepherd defends us, and the, the, the actual shepherd of an actual flock of sheep is going to defend them. Sheep may not be smart, but here's one thing they know. They know the voice of their shepherd. They know his call. When they hear his call, they go to where he is. Matter of fact, a shepherd will have a unique call that only his sheep will identify. And so they can learn his call, and they will respond to his call. Uh, sheep listen, but they are defenseless. They wonder. They're also stubborn. <laughs> sheep can tend to be stubborn. Uh, they're going to go their own way. Uh, when you combine all of these things with their lack of intelligence, um, it really, you got a problem. If you're a shepherd, you have a difficult job. You've got to watch them 24-7. You've got to constantly keep a head count. You've got to know where your sheep are, and you've got to make sure that they are not getting into trouble. Um, it's a tough job being a shepherd. It wasn't an envied job. They weren't looked at as the high class of society. Now, here's where the connection or here's where it gets a little difficult for us. I've described a lot of things about sheep and really, other than being fluffy and that one singing, Jesus loves me, 
other than that, and being able to recognize the voice of the shepherd, there's not a whole lot that's flattering about the description of a sheep. Can we agree on that? Not a whole lot that's flattering, okay? We are sheep. So understanding all that, and now understanding that in the Bible, Jesus is the shepherd, we are the sheep, it can be a little tough to swallow that pill, can it? I mean, it's not exactly a flattering comparison, but if we really get honest with ourselves, all of those things that we just talked about, a tendency to wonder, a tendency to get, in, get ourselves into trouble, a tendency to follow the wrong crowd, a tendency to be stubborn. When we know what we are supposed to do, we still do the wrong thing. And when it comes to the mind of God and his ways, uh, a lack of intelligence. <laughs> Our minds are not the same as his. So we can identify with sheep. It may not be flattering, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we can identify with sheep. The beauty of being called sheep, though, is that we have the opportunity to have a unique relationship with our shepherd. And that's what Jesus is talking about today, the relationship that we can have with him. As the sheep, we have an opportunity to be known by him. He wants uh, he wants uh, us to know who he is, and he wants to know who, he already knows who we are, but he wants us to experience that, him knowing us and growing in him. And we get to know who he is. We have this amazing privilege of knowing and being known by the shepherd, but we also have a tendency to follow the flock into trouble. Peace can only come when we obey God, but often we go our own way. Often we go astray. And then we find ourselves outside of the will of God. And just like that sheep that's wandered off, we find ourselves in trouble. The Lord, our shepherd, has our best interests at heart. He has a plan for us, and he wants us to experience the beauty of being within the fold, the beauty of following him as our good shepherd. We should follow his voice, walk away from sin, walk away from our own way of doing things, and follow him. So in John chapter 10, as we continue our series today, in John chapter 10, Jesus continues this illustration that he started last with the last statement, I am the door, the gate. He continues this illustration of sheep and a shepherd. He offers us access to the Father through himself. He is the, the gate for the sheep or the door for the sheep. We see all kinds of references to shepherds in Scripture. David was a shepherd. Um, God is Israel's shepherd. We see you know, Jesus looked at crowds and said that they were sheep without a shepherd. Pharisees and Sadducees were examples of bad shepherds. I mean, we see references to shepherds all through sheep. And as I said last week, part of the reason for that was because you had a lot of shepherds in the crowds Jesus was speaking to. I mean, you know, farmers and, and shepherds. Uh, that's, what, what he, that's what they knew, and so he's speaking in that language. He's speaking in a language that they would understand, using an analogy that they would understand. We, so Jesus capitalizes on this. He capitalizes on this, the knowledge that they have, what we see in Scripture, and he capitalizes on this theme by announcing that he is the good shepherd. So let's look at verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep and does not own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. 
I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me because I am laying down my life so I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay, down, lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. Now, one statement I want you to think about as we begin today, the relationship of the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheep. As described in this passage, in light of what we talked about last week, the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep is one of love, protection, and guidance. And we're going to talk about all of what that means, all of what's wrapped up in these verses that I just read for you here. But it is definitely characterized by love, protection, and guidance. As we see this description, Jesus' description, his relationship with his sheep, we begin to better understand his love for us. And it's, this is where we're going to begin as we look at the characteristics of Jesus as our good shepherd. To begin with, Jesus is a loving shepherd. You can't really deny that Jesus is love. I mean, if you do, you're going to have to look over the fact that he gave his life for us, okay? I mean, he laid down his life, and we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But he is a loving shepherd, and he begins by painting this picture of what a shepherd's love looks like. Jesus' love for us is much better than anything that anyone else could offer. If you'll remember, we said, and it's true, he can satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts, and he wants to satisfy the desires of our hearts. In this world, we're going to face real powerful temptation from Satan. You've got Jesus, who's the good shepherd, and Satan, who's working in contradiction to that. And we're going to face temptations from him. Satan's plan, it stands in stark contrast to Jesus' plan. Verse 10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus offers life. Satan offers death. That's two completely different things. It's a stark contrast. But the, the thing, the reason that people fall for what Satan is offering is that many times he's offering death, but it's, it's characterized, it's disguised as life. It's enticing. It looks good. It looks like it's going to end well, that it's going to produce life. It's going to produce good results, but it doesn't. Uh, Jesus offers an abundant life because he knows that nothing else can satisfy our hearts the way that he can. What Jesus offers, it's not death, it's not a, a dead end, it's soul-satisfying life. I want you to write that down. It's not a statement, it's not in your notes. Jesus offers a soul-satisfying life. You, you connect the dots here. You know, all the I am statements, feeding the 5,000, I'm the bread of life, you know, physical food, well, you'll get, you're going to get hungry again. I offer you more than that. I'm the light of the world. I shine light in the darkness. I expose sin. I show you the way. I'm the path. I show you the way to the Father. And then I'm the gate. I'm the door. You enter through me. You enter through me into eternal life, into my fold, and then we, one day we will exit into eternal life. And now the good shepherd. I will take care of you. I will provide for you until not just until this life is over, but throughout eternity. He provides a soul 
satisfying life. That's what he's offering. Left to our own devices, though, we're going to look anywhere and everywhere to find satisfaction, won't we? Anything we can grab a hold of that makes us feel good, to, that makes us look good, that, that gives us some, some sense of importance, some sense of value, we'll look anywhere. But our shepherd offers us more than that. And our shepherd will lead us if we will follow him. Again, he's not going to force us to do this. He, he, he offers us the opportunity to follow. The sheep can wander off if it so chooses. And we can if we want. Even as believers, we may have salvation, but we can choose not to follow him every day. We can choose to try to live our own way. We'll, our own way. we'll be under conviction. We'll experience a discipline. It's going to be a difficult life, but we can choose to do that. He'll let us do that if we desire. But our shepherd wants to lead us to a soul-satisfying life. And Jesus' love is not contingent upon danger or circumstances. You know, he, he wants to lead us. We may see all this stuff around us. We may be distracted. We may get fearful. But Jesus' love is consistent and it's not contingent upon danger. Jesus' love is grounded in who he is as an eternal, everlasting good shepherd. Eternal, everlasting good shepherd. That's who he is. So while our world may be crazy, while our, our commitment may waver, his, is, his love is, is eternal, never changing because it's grounded in who he is. It's a deeply rooted affection for the sheep. He longs for us to understand this. Look at verses 11 through 13 again. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away. When he sees a wolf coming, the wolf then snatches and scatters them because he is a hired man and doesn't care about his sheep. Okay, so the hired man, this is a guy that works for an hourly wage. He's not going, he's not going to hang around if danger comes, all right? If a wolf comes into the fold, this guy, he's headed for the hills. He has nothing invested in the sheep. He, he gets paid by the hour. If the sheep gets killed, no, no, you know, no problem for him. Doesn't, doesn't really affect him all that much. You know, even if he loses his job, he can go find another one. There's, he has no investment. He has no concern for the sheep. They are not his sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. And so the minute danger comes, he's going to get out of there. The sheep cannot depend on the, the, the hired hand because he's not committed to them. He's not invested in them. They can't depend on him like they can the shepherd. The shepherd, though, even when danger comes, the shepherd remains. He's invested in the flock. He cares for their needs. He stands between danger. Remember, he's the door. Nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out. He's going to protect them. As he's, he's leading the flock, he's constantly doing a head count. He's constantly making sure that his sheep are there. And if one wanders off, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one, right? He's going to go find that one. This is his livelihood. These are his sheep. He's invested personally, financially. His well-being is wrapped up in all of this. He cares about the sheep. And what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to give us an understanding of just how much he cares for us. If necessary, the shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep because if a wolf wipes out his flock, he might as well be dead. He has, no, he has nothing. He has no income. 
his willingness to give everything for his flock, all of these, the, the commitment, the dedication, the care, the watch care, uh, you, protecting the sheep, all of these things is wrapped up in the meaning that Jesus is trying to convey to us. As our good shepherd, he is willing to lay down his life when danger comes. The most beautiful example of this, of course, is the cross of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life. Sin stood in the way between us. You know, a shepherd will come, a, come along, a wolf comes up, wolf may be between he and his sheep, or wolf may be trying to get to his sheep, and the shepherd's going to stand in between the wolf and the sheep. He's not letting that wolf through unless the wolf kills him. Sin was a barrier. It separated us from God, and Jesus willfully went to the cross, and he took on our sin. He carried the weight on his shoulders, he experienced the wrath of God, the punishment, the pain, the suffering, none greater than the wrath of God, that separation from his father as he took on sin. He did it all. He took it on. He didn't run from it. He didn't run from the pain. He didn't run from the suffering, the danger. He didn't run from death. He certainly didn't run from our sin. And aren't you glad? I'm glad. He took it on. Didn't scare him off. Yeah, he was in agony in the garden. You know, nobody would want to go through that. He was fully human. He felt everything that they did to him. He, again, the greatest suffering was the wrath of his father and him turning his back on his son when he took on our sin. But Jesus, he didn't run away from it. He stood for us. He took on our sin. He paid the penalty for us. The good shepherd took our place. There's nothing we can do Man, this is such a beautiful statement. Now that I'm looking at it, I should have used this instead of what I'm about to put on the screen. There is nothing that we can do, nothing you can do to scare God away. Nothing. By the way, there's nothing anybody else can do to scare God away. His love never changes. God will never love you more or less than he does right now. Now, that sounds a little bit, hmm, because, you know, I think our love for our children grows or lessens depending on what they did wrong, <laughs> depending on the day of the week. But God's love, he'll never love you more or less. Why is that? Because he loves you with a perfect love. You can't improve on perfection. And if it's less than perfection, it's not perfection. God will never love you more or less. You cannot scare him away. You cannot change the way he feels about you. You can, you can do things that bring punishment. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't change his love for you. The good shepherd doesn't run from danger. He doesn't stop loving you. In fact, it's the opposite. He runs toward danger for you. He protects you. He doesn't run from our sin. He runs toward it. He took it on on the cross. He doesn't run from danger. He cannot be frightened. And as the good shepherd of his flock, the Lord stands as a guard protecting us, a protective shepherd. Next, let's look at God as Jesus is the leading shepherd. He's our leading shepherd. Here's a question for you. Are you driven or are you led? There's a difference. Do you feel like you're being driven through life? Somebody's pushing you to do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, or do you feel led by a good shepherd? You know, if you're feeling driven, that's not Jesus. He's not trying to drive you. He wants to lead you. A shepherd knows his flock. The more they're, they're, they're more than just a flock. He counts each head. He knows the one that walks with a limp. 
He watches out for him. He knows the one that has a tendency to wander off, so he's going to watch out for that one too. I mean, he knows the one that waits while everybody else eats or, or is timid and stands back. He's going to make sure he gets enough food. He knows the one that tends to butt heads with the rest of the people. We don't have any sheep like that here, do we? Butts heads with the rest of the sheep. He knows the person, the tendencies of his sheep. He also knows the one that waits till the rest of them go to sleep and then comes to nuzzle up next to him for a little bit of affection. The shepherd knows his sheep, and he's got a call that's unique to his sheep. And when the sheep hear that call, they're going to come. They're going to recognize their shepherd's voice. The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know their shepherd. Jesus knows us. He knows his sheep. You know, in the Bible language, to know involves, it's more than just knowledge of, it's deep intimacy, deep understanding of the person involved. If you go to the Hebrew equivalent in the Hebrew text, to know, it describes the intimacy between husband and wife, the deep knowledge, the deep intimacy, the deep affection. This is the type of relationship that Jesus is describing when he says the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows us and knows us better than we know ourselves. But he also wants us to know him in that way. He already knows you that way. He wants, to, he wants for you to know him in that deep understanding, that intimate, affectionate way. It, it, this, it means that we are loved unconditionally. We are chosen by him, but he wants this to be a two-way street. And when we look at Psalm 139, David talks about the intimate way that we are known by God. Look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 on the screen. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wonderfully or fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one began. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows our deepest joys. He understands our greatest struggles. He knows our deepest sorrows. He is interested in knowing every part of us. He already does, but just the fact that he wants to do that should, should blow our minds. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe wants to know you intimately and wants you to experience him knowing you intimately and wants you to know him intimately. He is not satisfied with a one-way relationship. He wants a two-way relationship. And here's what we need to learn. Our lives are truly transformed and they never truly will be transformed until we begin to know our good shepherd in this way intimately, passionately, personally. That two-way knowledge that I just described in the biblical understanding. True knowledge, true intimacy. Dallas Willard said this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than it is lives. Let me say that again. The Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than it is lives. You see it written on people's tombstones, but when you look at the life of a person, is God really your shepherd? Knowing him the way he knows you, like we just talked about, 
Does that describe your, my relationship with my shepherd? Do I know him that intimately? Or is there some reason I don't? Am I following him that closely? Or is there some reason I'm not? Things will begin to change in your life when you feel led by the Lord instead of driven by him. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of direction, purpose. We know his call. We understand his voice and we follow him. He pulls us. He's not pushing us. We want to follow him. We're led. We're drawn to that voice. We're drawn to that direction that he has for us. But a lot of people feel driven more so than led. It's time to go to church. It's time to do this. Got to go serve on this committee. Got to go perform this act of service. Got to go to work. Got to go get food ready for the, for the family. Got to go home and do chores. Got to do this, that. Got to work. All, all these things we feel driven constantly by the pressures of life. If you feel driven instead of led, it is not the Lord who is driving you. Okay? Jesus does not drive you. He leads you. There's, some, there's a guy on a trip to the Holy Land. And as he was on this trip, he was touring and he saw a, 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 a flock of sheep being driven from behind by this shepherd or by this person. And, and he was, you know, cracking the whip, yelling at him, screaming at him. And the tourist asked the guide, he said, I thought the shepherd led the sheep from the front. And the guide said, no, 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 that's not the shepherd. That's the guy leading the sheep to be butchered. <laughs> He's the butcher. The shepherd leads, the butcher drives. Now, if the shepherd is Jesus, guess who the butcher is? You know, Satan's going to drive you to do things, even good things, because it'll make you feel good. If it'll keep you out of heaven, he'll, he's just saying you do all the good things you can, all right, if, it, if you're not trusting in Christ. But, but Satan himself, he will drive us. He shoves us from, rear, from the rear with reminders from the past, guilt over sin. As believers, guilt over sin that's already been forgiven. He's going to drive us from the past. He, he's going he's to push us through situations that lead ultimately to slaughter, to destruction, to defeat. Satan is the thief that Jesus says. He's, he's describing Satan when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe you feel driven instead of led, but that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus wants you to hear. Jesus wants you to lead you as a loving shepherd. You may be driving yourself, okay? Let's take Satan out of the picture. Maybe you're driving yourself, all right? That's not what Jesus wants. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to be your loving shepherd. A life that's driven feels pushed and re will result in bitterness and guilt. You'll act out of guilt or obligation instead of love. Religion about God will replace a relationship with God. You'll go through the motions. You'll do all the right things. You'll, you'll be driven to do all those things, but you won't have the relationship that we've described the good shepherd and his sheep. A pastor by the name of Wayne Cordero said this. He said, the road to success and the road to burnout is the same road. You can be doing the same things for very different reasons. Good things for very different reasons. Driven, 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 and end up burned out. Feeling driven but not led and end with burnout. 
losing your joy on the journey. Being led instead of feeling driven is based on whose voice you're listening to. Whose voice am I listening to? Who's leading me or driving me? What false shepherds are calling me to follow or pushing me in a certain direction? What's the noise that's clogging your ears? Remember last week, turn down the noise. Because if noise is clogging your ears, driving you in a particular direction that is not of God, then you're going to be led to burnout. The way God wired you is wonderful and complex, and you need to be who God created you to be. That's important. Because... He has a specific purpose for you. He gave you abilities you were born with. Now that you're a follower of his, he gives you spiritual gifts to be used. And if you allow anybody to push you in a direction that's not of him, then it will lead you to emptiness and despair. But by listening to the voice of God, understand, understanding who he created you to be, the purpose he created you for, that's where you find fulfillment. But continuing to allow other people to set your agenda will will result in you losing your identity in Christ and not knowing what he put you here for. When your flesh or other people's expectations combine with your personality, the good shepherd leading you will oftentimes be replaced by the butcher that's driving you. And none of us want to be in that place. So examine your yeses and nos. This will tell you a lot about who's leading you or driving you. Who are you saying yes to and who are you saying no to? If you're saying yes more to your own personality or other people that are leading you or driving you, if you're saying yes to anybody more than you are to Jesus, then that's a a cause. That's a reason to pause and think. Examine your yeses and nos. That's a good indicator of who's leading you or driving you. When we too often say yes to the wrong influences in life, the unintended consequence is that we end up saying no to the good shepherd. It may be with good intentions, but if we don't examine our yeses and our noes, if we don't prioritize, if we don't allow God to be the center of our lives and direct us, then we're going to end up saying yes to the wrong things and no to the wrong things. Acknowledge the weakness in your personality. We all have them. Or the strength in the other person's personality that's pushing you. Acknowledge that. Be honest about that. Lay those things at the feet of Jesus and commit to following his voice, to being led by the shepherd, to be led to follow instead of being driven. God has created us in salvation to be shepherded. And following his lead will call us cause us to have a growing desire to know him more. And that's one of the things, as we talked about studying God's word, the more you study it, the more you have a hunger for it, right? The more you listen to the voice of God, the more you hear the voice of God, the more you want to hear the voice of God. The more you follow him and discover that his way truly is good and satisfying and fulfilling, the more you want to follow that way. And we find that following him is much better than being driven by anyone else. It changes us. Knowing the shepherd changes who we are. The I am changes who I am. Next, we also find that Jesus is a uniting shepherd. He's a loving shepherd. He takes care of us. He leads us. He guides us. He speaks to us, but he also unites us. He, he does more than build relationships. He does. He does more than guard the flock. He certainly does that. He breaks down walls and he brings unity. We live in a world of separations, don't we? You know, political, 
racial, paganism, different religions, even our denominations. And listen, there's, there's reasons there are differences. We, we hold true to the doctrines we hold to as Baptists for a reason. But, you know, sometimes we allow those things to separate us too much instead of coming together and uniting to advance the kingdom of God. There are di- a lot of different things that separate us in life. Individualism, relativism, you know, your definition of truth, whatever it is, there are many things that separates us, but Jesus calls us to focus on something more. He wants us to unite in worship of and commitment to him. And we can unite behind that. There's only one shepherd and leader, and Jesus wants us to set our eyes on God. He wants to draw our attention to focus on the Father, and he is our way to the Father. He's the door, remember? He's our way to the Father. And as we focus together collectively, and not on any other allegiance, whatever our pet allegiance is, maybe a good thing, but if we collectively focus on our shepherd, what we will find is that there is unity in that. Everything that once caused division can find unity in Christ. And, and this, of course, affects ethnicities and backgrounds. You know, I grew up in Birmingham. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, and you know, it was long past civil rights stuff. But let me tell you, racism was still very prevalent in Birmingham. There was still a lot of those scars. Still to this day, there were a lot of those scars that existed there. And I'll never forget uh, I was in junior high school. My sister went to minor high school. I was at Bottenfield Junior High School. And, and one day, my grandmother was taking us both to school. Um, my parents had to work early, whatever the case was. I can't remember exactly. And, and for whatever reason, my grandmother decided to take my sister to school first. Well, racial tensions had been growing at minor for months between uh, blacks and whites. I mean, it had just been growing and growing and growing and growing. And we show up that day. And there is, and I'm not exaggerating, a riot in the parking lot. Police are there. People are fighting. People are hitting each other. People are being handcuffed. And my sister's like, oh, grandmother, just let me out of the car. I'll be fine. <laughs> my, grandmother said, my grandmother said, you're not going anywhere, okay? But I remember, in all seriousness, I remember I was sitting in the backseat of my grandmother's car watching this unfold before my eyes for no other reason than they just didn't like each other. And for many years moment of transparency. For many years, I harbored racism in my heart that was based on fear because of what I saw that day and what I'd heard growing up. I was, I was fearful. And that was a scary scene. And for a long time, I felt that way. You know, God has a funny way of turning things around in our lives, doesn't he? I never had a brother. I have an older sister. I always wanted a, a brother. And one day, I, 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 you know, I started working, serving on staff at my home church. I've told you that before when I was in college. And one day, this, this guy named Omar shows up. Young black kid, lived on the other side of town from me, completely different backgrounds, completely different lifestyles. And Omar just showed up and just never left. Mandy got to know him. He just, he never left. He decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang with you. And I, you know, I was like, okay, I, there's nothing I can do about it anyway because he wasn't going to leave. And so we got to know each other. The more we got to know each other, the more I realized Omar, he didn't really, he didn't want to, st- his, his, his neighborhood wasn't that great, so he didn't want to stay at home. He wanted to stay at the church. It was safer. It was more comfortable. So he started helping me out. And eventually I started picking him up and taking him home. 
he started hanging out so much so that, you know, there were times where I wished maybe he didn't hang out so much so. But he, I mean, he was there right by my side. And slowly but surely, I got to know Omar. And I got to love Omar. And I began to realize that Omar, you know, I, all of those things that I have in the back of my mind, preconceived ideas about the color of his skin, his background, we were, I mean, you couldn't have picked two completely different backgrounds to grow up in, but Omar and I became like brothers. We used to joke, you know, I always prayed for a little brother, but I never thought I'd get a black little brother, but I did. <laughs> every now and then we, we keep up today. He'll call me every now and then, message me on Facebook, but he, he worked with me for about three years on staff at Westwood. Uh, while I was there, he was never a paid staff member, but he was one of my assistants, and we worked together. And his family treated me like I was one of their own, and my family treated him the same way. And he was just as close. I can't imagine being any closer to a brother. I'm sure that's possible. I haven't had one, but I, he was just as close as any brother that in any way I could have ever imagined. didn't matter the color of his skin. It mattered who he was. And the reason we were so close is because guess what? He loved Jesus, I loved Jesus too, and we worked together to advance the kingdom of God through recreation and children's ministries. I left, he served there another four, three or four years. He's doing youth ministry to this day. He's a youth pastor in a mostly white church, by the way. I mean, God doesn't care about the color of our skin. We can be divided by all of those things. We can be divided by backgrounds, preconceived ideas, but what Jesus wants to do as our shepherd is unite us Jesus, our good shepherd, brings unity to a flock that is diverse in every aspect. I don't care if your skin color is the same. Guess what? You're all different. We are all different. Look at John 10, 16. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. You know, he's, here in the context, he's talking about Gentiles, right? But unless i got news for you. Unless you're a Jew... You, you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. We all fall into that category. Different colors, different creeds, different nationalities, different backgrounds. What matters is that the flock follows the same shepherd. And I want to finish with our last point. Jesus is our saving shepherd. He unites us, and the reason we can be united is because we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. He's always there. Day, night, danger, no danger, He's always there. He never leaves his post. And it's a thankless job, by the way, the shepherd's job. Nobody's going to give him any awards for it. It's Jesus that will be magnified and glorified. But I'm talking about the earthly shepherd. You know, there's not a whole lot of glory in it. But Jesus is our good shepherd. He lays down his life. Look at verse 17 of John 10. This is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. He's our good shepherd. He's our willing sacrifice. He didn't have any sin on himself. He took it on for us. He took our sin on. He lived a sinless life. He didn't have to do it. And he's very clear here. No one took his life from him. He willingly laid it down. And he did it because he is our loving shepherd. And he brings salvation. It was his decision. Four times in verses 11 through 18, he's, he refers to laying down his own life. I think he wants us to hear that, don't you? No one took it from him. This speaks to the depth 
of the love that God has for us. And we shouldn't look at that and get a big ego because of that. That should, that should force us to our knees in amazement and humility because the God of the universe loved us enough to lay down his life and take on our sin when he certainly didn't have to. But it doesn't end there. Jesus is using this I am statement to ramp us up for eternity. We see Jesus referred to as a shepherd in other parts of the New Testament. Real quickly, let's walk through this. Each time we see a different adjective precede the term shepherd. All right? First, in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The emphasis here is on his voluntary death, his willingness to lay down his life and all of the relational aspects that we've talked about. He's good because he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. Next, in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, it takes it a step further. Now may the, good, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. So now the emphasis is, is shifted from the cross to the resurrection, brought up from the dead. The empty tomb declares how great he really is and how unique he really is. You know, a lot of good men can and have given their lives for good things. We've seen it throughout history. But only one could give his life and then be risen again, be raised again three days later. And that's what Jesus did. He came back from the dead. As our good shepherd, he not only laid down his life, but then he took it up again to offer victory over death to all who would come to his fold, which leads to number three, 1 Peter 5, 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We too can have resurrection. We're saved. We will be raised to life. But then he goes beyond that. God always gives us more than we deserve. It's grace. He gives us new life. He raises us from the dead. But then he promises that for those who follow his plan, who follow his voice, who live in faithfulness, there's a reward. This isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about reward. There's the crown of glory that will never fade for those who are faithful. So he lays down his life for us. He, he, he brings it back up again. He is raised from the dead. He offers us salvation and resurrection from the dead. And then in glory, we can get rewarded not only by being in his presence, which is enough, more than enough, not only by being in heaven where there's no sin, suffering, or death, which is more than enough, but whatever this crown of righteousness I'm excited about because Paul was pretty excited about it too, whatever that is has to be incredible. He goes above and beyond. Our good shepherd is more than just good. He's the chief shepherd because he can do all of that. He can raise us from the dead and he can give us eternal life and reward us. And it's all because he laid down his life. I want to show you a picture. This is Jessica Council. Jessica, she was pregnant with her second child and was diagnosed with cancer. Now, I used this illustration several years ago, and as I was studying for this, it came up again in one of the sources I was studying. But she was pregnant with her second child. She and her husband, Clint, were about to have their second child, and she was diagnosed with cancer. First, the doctors said, you've got to have radiation chemo immediately. Their first question was, what will it do to the baby? Will it harm the baby? Well, probably was the answer. Didn't know for sure. Jessica and Clint said, nope, not going to harm the baby. 
So she fought the cancer. Next, the doctors recommended abortion. We can save your life. We'll have a good chance. No guarantee, but we'll have a better chance of saving your life, Jessica, if you will go through with this abortion. She and Clint said, nope, I'm not going to do it. Not jeopardizing the baby's life. So for months, she battled cancer while her body deteriorated so that she could give her child a chance of survival. Then one day, Jessica... Which he, with each medical offer, by the way, there were others, but it offered a risk to the baby. She and Clint continually, they were resolved. They continually said, no, no, no. We're giving, we're going to do everything we can to give this baby a chance to survive. And then one day, unexpectedly, Jessica gets a headache. She goes to bed. She never wakes up. And then they take her to the hospital. She, for all intents and purposes, is dead. Okay, she's gone. But the baby inside her is still alive. And the baby was at 23 weeks, right at the point of viability. She fought and she fought and she fought to stay alive just so that baby would have a chance. Here's what her husband, Clint, said. He said, she knew she was going to die anyway. She didn't tell me that till near the end, he says. But I think she knew and she was thinking she was going to give this baby every chance that she could. They performed an emergency C-section. The baby survived. Little Jessie, they named her after her mother. Just over a pound, pound and so many ounces, I can't, can't find it in my notes, but just, just barely, barely, right on the line of being able to survive. A week earlier, both mom and the baby would have been dead, but they were able to save this baby. Because of Jessica's willingness to give her life, the husband, Clint, sacrificed. Little Jesse now has a chance to live. Now, in the moment, dealing with cancer, the possibility of death, saying, no, 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 we're not receiving treatment, is one thing. And, and for me personally, to say, I'm going to give my life for my child, that's one thing. But to say that for my wife, yeah, we're going to give her up so that the child will live, well, that's a different ballgame altogether, right? Because as a husband, I'm called to lay down my life for her. And Clint said that in the moment, and I, I just, in one of the stories I read, he was honest about his feelings. He came back and he talked about his struggles, and yeah, anybody would, but in the moment, it's one thing. In the immediate aftermath, it's one thing, but then two weeks after, Here's what Clint says. He's lost his wife. He's now got two kids he's got to raise. You know, yes, thankful little Jesse's alive, thankful for the new life, but the reality of losing his wife is setting in completely. Two weeks after, here's what he said. God is to be praised. No doubt. Do not doubt God. Do not be angry with God for me. I am privileged to have had a wife who was so full of love of the Father. Rejoice with me, brothers and sisters. Rejoice. God has blessed Jessica in taking her to a place of perfect peace and no pain. I must be thankful for the time that I had with her rather than ungrateful for all of the things we never got to do together. We must give thanks in all things. It's one thing to say that when things are good. 
We must give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to all. I would love to be able to stand here or sit here in front of you and say that I could say that. I don't know. As I look at my wife, I don't know. But that is someone, that sounds like a man who knows his good shepherd. His great shepherd. His chief shepherd who knows that one day, that his wife is now with the Lord and one day he'll be raised to be with the Lord and see his wife one day again. But as amazing as that picture is, hold on, hang with me. As amazing as that picture is, that is exactly the love that our good shepherd has for us. He laid down his life for us too. He could have had an easy way out. Hey, call in the angels. He could have at any moment. Could have taken the easy way out, but no, he suffered and he died. He gave his life so that you and I could live. That is our good shepherd. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to protect you. But he won't force you to follow him. It's up to us. So will you follow your good shepherd? Knowing Christ is a good shepherd changes everything. It changes everything. And through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we will come to know him more each day, and we will become more like him each day. So the question of the day is, who is leading you? Is Jesus your good shepherd? If not, call on him today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving everything for us. You gave your life. You held nothing back. You took on our sin. You suffered. You bled. You died. And praise God, you were raised from the dead so that we too could have victory over death. And you want us to follow you. You call us to yourself, but you won't force yourself on us. And if, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as good shepherd, who, who, who cannot, cannot answer that question by saying that you are their shepherd, I pray that they would invite you into their lives and receive the salvation that you died to provide and were raised from the dead to be able to give the victory that you give. For those of us who know you, the question of the day is, are, are we being led or are we being driven? May we follow you, be led by you into a deeper relationship, deeper every day as we grow in you. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for giving us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?